Hey guys, Debs here, and welcome to the final episode of Debs Watchlist for 2021. If you've been following me, you'll know that my resolution for this last year was to watch at least 100 films and TV shows in their entirety. And I'm happy to report that I hit that goal on Christmas Day. And so in the spirit of sharing is caring, and to add yet another yearly roundup to all the lists already out there, here are my top three recommendations for films, TV shows, and Korean dramas this year. So let's get started first with movies. So my favorite film of the year, hands down, was Coda. Coda made waves earlier this year when Apple acquired it for a record $25 million at the Sundance Film Festival. It's an English remake of a French film called The Bellier Family, and it tells the story of Ruby, a teenager who is a hearing child of deaf adults. Her family runs a fishing business, and she often serves as their interpreter, helping them communicate and connect with the world around them. Ruby thinks that fishing and serving as her family's interpreter would be her entire life, but all of that changes when she joins the school choir and falls in love with music. This beautiful coming-of-age film made me laugh, it made me cry, and it left me feeling all warm and fuzzy inside after it finished. I also really like the title of this movie, which has a double meaning. CODA is the acronym for Children of Deaf Adults, which describes who Ruby is, but CODA is also a musical term that serves as a beautiful metaphor for what Ruby experiences in this film. Honestly, I think Coda is probably one of the most underrated films of the year. Even though it had a record acquisition at Sundance, I don't really think Apple did enough marketing or gave it enough marketing love, and that's why it has flown under the radar for a lot of people. So if you're looking for a hidden gem that will uplift your spirits, check out Coda on Apple TV+. The next movie I enjoyed this year is a Netflix original, Red Notice. Red Notice is a star-studded action comedy film with The Rock, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot. It's about art thieves, federal agents, and Interpol all racing against each other to find the precious Cleopatra's eggs, which are three very valuable, golden, bling, egg-shaped Egyptian artifacts that apparently belong to Cleopatra. I know, sounds ridiculous, sounds super silly, but that really sets the tone for the entire film, which is an exciting and wild roller coaster ride of big explosions, very funny dry humor, kick-ass action scenes, and fun twists. I actually think Red Notice might be the start of a successful action franchise for Netflix. This movie was apparently one of Netflix's most expensive films ever, with a budget of $200 million. And I definitely think the effort paid off. Even though critics didn't really like the movie, which honestly doesn't surprise me because it's not a work of cinematic high art, the truth is audiences loved it. In fact, this movie crushed Netflix movie viewership records and dethroned the popular film Bird Box as the most watched Netflix original film within 28 days of its release. So will there be a sequel? With these numbers and also the movie's ending, I think the answer is probably yes. I'm not sure why, but looking at my list this year, it seems like most of the movies I've watched are more blockbuster 
instead of my usual indie preferences. Maybe it's because another year of the pandemic has just driven me crazy and made me crave fun escapist fare that could temporarily deliver me from the harsh realities of life. I don't know. But anywho, all of this to say that my final pick for the top three films this year is the Marvel superhero movie Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I was already super excited for this movie before it came out because it's the first Marvel movie with an Asian superhero and it has one heck of a cast. I mean, Simu and Aquafina are cool, love them, but Tony Leung? Come on, he's the legend and the OG in Chinese cinema. Anyways, I finally got to stream this movie on Disney Plus in November because I was too scared to watch it in theaters because of COVID, and I absolutely loved it. The movie is about Shang-Chi, a superhero who runs away from home at a young age and tries to live a normal life in San Francisco under the name Sean. However, when he and his friends are attacked and a precious pendant from his deceased mother is stolen, he is forced to confront his dark past including his rocky relationship with his father and the secrets of the Ten Rings organization. This movie was really fun to watch, and I was also surprised at how much of it was actually in Mandarin with English subtitles, but that just made the whole experience feel more authentic to me as an Asian American. I also loved the fight scenes, which had some pretty sick choreography, And I also like the story and how it gives you a lot to think about regarding topics like family relationships and grief. I've also lived in San Francisco for a while, so it's quite fun to see the famous bus ride fight scene which takes place on a bus that is part of the California One Line, which I've actually taken a few times. But fun fact, the route in the movie was totally off. I think there's a viral Twitter thread that was from an actual SF bus driver who comments on that scene play-by-play and basically confirms that this entire scene was definitely fiction made up. It's a really funny thread. You should go look it up on Twitter. So if you're looking for an exciting, family-friendly action film with A-plus performances and visuals, highly recommend checking out Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings on Disney+. So that wraps up my top three for movies, so let's now move to TV. So interesting enough, this might actually be the first year where I watched more TV shows than films. Usually I like to watch movies because they're shorter, but this year I watched so much TV and I can finally understand why people are saying that TV, not film, is now Hollywood's favorite child. From the stories to the production quality and casting, It's very clear that TV is in its golden age. So the first TV series that I really enjoyed this year is the Apple original, Ted Lasso. I actually initially put off watching this show despite its rave reviews because it's about soccer and I am the least sporty person out there. The only sports I watch is the Olympics and that only happens every few years. So yeah definitely not a sports person here. But I'm happy to report that even if you know zip about soccer or sports in general, you'll still absolutely enjoy the show. So the series is about Ted Lasso, a small town college American football coach who is brought to London 
to coach a premier soccer team, despite having zero experience in the sport. Basically, like me as the viewer, zero experience with soccer. So not only does he have no credibility in the eyes of the players, but because the team is also on the brink of losing their status in a prestigious league, everyone, from the players to the fans, hate him. But despite all the resistance, nasty name-calling, and rude behavior, Ted uses kindness and empathy to coach the team to not only do their best out on the field, but to also become better versions of themselves as people. Sure, soccer is an important part of the series, but at its core, the show isn't really about sports, but rather about humanity and our capacity to be kind and use that kindness to change those around us for the better. So if you're in need of a mood booster or something that restores your faith in humanity, this is the show for you. Another plus is that each episode is only roughly 30 minutes, so super short and sweet. You can binge the two seasons of Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus so that you'll be ready when season three comes out. So obviously there has to be a thriller on my list at some point, and thus I present to you Only Murders in the Building. Don't let the title scare you. The show is actually more funny than frightening. This Hulu original stars Steve Martin, Barton Short, and Selena Gomez as true crime podcast fans, and they live in an apartment complex where murder happens. So what do they do? They decide to investigate and create a podcast where they share their latest updates and theories on who is the killer. The show is incredibly funny and silly, but also exciting. So if you're into dark comedy and whodunits, but don't want the violence and gore, this is the perfect show to watch. Also, I'm assuming if you listen to this podcast, you're a podcast fan in general. So that's also another reason to watch this fun series that is actually super relevant to where cultural trends are headed. Anyways, Hulu has already announced there will be a season two. And so all I can say is, I can't wait. My third pick is another Hulu original, Dope Sick. Quick side note, I'm actually really impressed with all the great content coming out from Hulu. I know we often think that Netflix or HBO, they're the ones that have premium TV content, but I must say that many other streamers are starting to give those heavyweights a run for their money. Anyways, back to Dope Sick. So I was really excited for Dope Sick because it stars Michael Keaton, who is one of my favorite actors of all time, and also because of its interesting real-life subject matter. The show is about the opioid crisis in America, and it focuses specifically on the wealthy Sackler family and their role in developing and selling the painkiller Oxycontin. Instead of honestly sharing how strong and addictive the drug is, they utilize bribery, manipulation, and false advertising to make the drug look harmless, which meant it was then used for everything from small toothaches to severe surgery pain, which then led to thousands of Americans getting addicted, overdosing, and dying from this drug. This show is equal parts fascinating and infuriating. Fascinating because... It's a story where real life is actually crazier than fiction, but also infuriating because you can see how some people are complete monsters and make blood money without batting an eye. 
While the show tries to give a morally satisfactory ending, the reality is that the lawsuits against the Sackler family and their company, Purdue Pharma, OxyContin, all of this is still ongoing and very, very messy. So if you actually do want to get super angry, you can follow up on all the news about what's happening there. Even though it's a heavy show, I really like Dope Sick. Basically, not surprised that this show has a Golden Globe nomination for Best Television Motion Picture. If you have time, definitely watch this show on Hulu. Alright, so I know I said I'd only do three shows, but there were so many great shows this year, so I'm going to cheat and do some honorable mentions. I mean, I haven't even touched on the HBO shows that I really like this year. So very quickly, I liked HBO's The Flight Attendant, which is a binge-worthy thriller about a flight attendant who wakes up next to the body of a passenger. So murder, mystery, all that good stuff. I also love Mayor of Easttown, which I already covered in another podcast episode, and Succession. Alright, Succession Season 3 was probably the best season to date in this epic series about rich family problems, drama, and politics. That finale... Basically, season four can't come quick enough. Also, I know I mostly shared mature content for adult audiences, but there's actually one family slash kids show that I highly, highly recommend, and it's Netflix's second season of The Babysitter's Club. I grew up reading a lot of Babysitter's Club books, but honestly, I've kind of forgotten how many mature topics like divorce and chronic illness were covered in the series. And I think Netflix's adaptation did a great job of portraying those issues in a modern and relevant manner, but also in a graceful and healthy age-appropriate manner for kids. So highly, highly recommend. Okay, I'm going to force myself to stop here at the TV shows. Otherwise, we'll be here all day. So of course I had to carve out a special section for Korean dramas. Yes, I love Squid Game, as do the rest of the world, and so if you want to hear more about that show, I already have an episode about it. But today, I'll be focusing on three other K-dramas that I enjoyed in 2021. First up is Taxi Driver, which is based on a webtoon. For those unfamiliar, webtoons are Korean webcomics. And they're super popular. Almost everyone in Korea has at one point read a webtoon or read part of it. That's why many webtoons have been adapted into films and TV shows over the past few years. And a few of them that you might have heard of include the Netflix original Sweet Home or the pandemic fan favorite Itaewon Class. So what is Taxi Driver about? It's a very dark thriller, so don't recommend it for kids about an underground taxi service that helps its passengers take revenge. If you've been wronged and the law cannot help you, then you can contact Rainbow Taxi Service, who will take care of everything for you. Because of its premise, the show serves up plenty of social commentary, because each episode is actually inspired by a case that happened in real life. From voice phishing, to workplace bullying, to sexual abuse of special need minors, the show tackles a range of social issues where the rich, the powerful, and the shrewd get away with all their crimes until they meet their match with the Rainbow Taxi Service. Watching the show was super cathartic. If only all the bad guys could also get what they deserved in real life too. But things get complicated when a prosecutor catches wind of this underground taxi service 
And she raises the question of, does the end always justify whatever means? Like, is it okay for the service to keep operating even when the methods it uses to serve justice might be bordering on illegal? Lots of interesting things to think about while watching the show, so highly, highly recommend. Even though the production quality honestly can feel a bit kitsch, the acting and story was A+. Definitely one of the more underrated K-dramas from this year. My next favorite K-drama of 2021 is the complete opposite of Taxi Driver and is a sweet drama called Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha. I know, the title sounds very strange, slightly cheesy, and I'll admit, even I was initially put off by this title, but I'm so glad I watched it. I love this drama so much that I actually bought the screenplay and had it shipped to me all the way from Korea. So this drama is about Lee Hae-jin, a woman who is your typical Seoul elite. She graduated from a top university, works as a dentist, and lives enjoying all the luxuries that a city like Seoul has to offer. But when a conflict arises at work and she gets fired, she moves back to her mother's hometown, a small seaside village called Gongjin. There, she starts her own dental clinic and crosses paths with Hong Dushi, the town's resident handyman and jack-of-all-trades who helps her navigate and adjust to her new environment. This drama had really similar vibes to Ted Lasso because it's definitely a feel-good show or a quote-unquote healing drama, as Koreans call it. And the beauty of the show lies not only in the two leads and their character growth, but also in all the stories of the other residents in the seaside village. Nothing extraordinary or mind-blowing ever happens in the drama. All the characters are people like you and me, and what they go through is like our everyday lives. But it's exactly the ordinary nature of it all that makes this drama so much more relatable and touching. They touch on everything from like aging to marriage and divorce, family relationships, loss of loved ones, childhood innocence, all of that and more are examined deeply and very touchingly in this drama. Fun fact, Squid Game may have crushed Netflix viewership records, but this K-drama also put out a very strong performance on the platform. It actually ranked in the top 10 worldwide list during its run. I think Squid Game was first place and then Hometown Cha 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 was fluctuating between 7th and 8th place. So this was definitely a very popular show. So if you're looking for something that will be very heartwarming, fun, sweet, and also has a lot of beautiful scenery and great food shots, check out Hometown Cha 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 on Netflix. All right, and so for the final show on the K-drama list, and the final show that I will talk about on this podcast episode, we have the historical drama Red Sleeve Cuff. Okay, so technically the show hasn't ended yet. The final episode is on New Year's Day. But with only two episodes left to air, I'm pretty sure the show is going to end on the same note as the rest of the drama, which is incredible. Red Sleeve Cuff is a historical drama and is about a palace maid named Dokim and her relationship with Isan, one of the most famous kings in Korea. 
The reason this show is called Red Sleeve Cuff is because if a palace maid's sleeve cuff is red, that means she is specifically a maid who serves the king. So this drama begins when the maid and the king are both still children, and it progresses and shows that this maid always comes to the king's rescue and played a crucial role in helping him ascend to the throne. Of course, romance blooms between the two, but there are so many additional things in this drama, like palace intrigue, politics, secret organizations, that make this show an addictive watch. There is always a climax and significant plot development every episode, like not a minute is wasted. So it's no surprise that this show has seen strong viewership ratings and top the list for most social media buzz in Korea. I also find it really refreshing to see such a strong and smart female character in an Asian drama, so highly recommend this show. I also really love reading up on Korean history as I watch this drama, because a lot of the characters and things that happen in this drama do have some truth to them. Obviously things are a bit dramatized, because this is a K-drama after all, But there are parts that are not entirely fiction, and so it was cool to see how, for the most part, it aligns pretty well with what happened in history. So, if you're interested in historical fiction, you can check out Red Sleeve Cuff. And with that, we wrap up my favorite watches of 2021. What were some of your favorite shows and films this past year? And looking ahead, what are you most excited for on your 2022 watch list? Let me know by connecting with me on social. Thanks for tuning in and happy new year.